You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. If you wouldn't mind grabbing your Bibles and then everybody who's able, take a or stand to your feet. And we're going to read through our verses this morning before we start our study in the Word. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. How are, how are you guys this morning? Awesome. It's great to see you, great to hear you. I pray that you guys are blessed. How many of you are going to be participating in the Tour de Paris on bicycles? Wow, okay, a few of you. That's exciting. We'll pray for you. To reach the finish line. Cool. Uh, this past week I was privileged to be able to spend some time with about 600 other senior pastors from the Calvary Chapel movement around the world really. We had speaker, uh, speaker from Hungary, speaker from Mexico City, somebody from Hawaii spoke. Uh, yeah, Calvary chapels seem to be infiltrating all over the world, and that's a good thing, because we need, we need more churches that are committed to the teaching of God's Word expositionally, and uh, it was just a great week. I had an awesome time. I, I just am so thankful that I got to go to that, and our, my wife was there with me. It was the first time in many years that, that all the wives were invited, so it was a great time for Rebecca and I just to get away from our children. They were with uh, their grandma and grandpa for the whole week. And uh, Rebecca and I just, just felt like I got to, to bring in my, my main ministry partner right into the sanctuary and just be fed, both of us being filled up with the Word of God and just being poured into. It was a very encouraging time. And uh, I just thank you for anybody that prayed for us while we were out there. The Lord definitely was working and moving. And I was just so encouraged that whole week. So I, I pray that you guys um, know that, man... We just feel so blessed and encouraged to be here and um, so great to be a part of this fellowship and to be pastoring here. It's just such a privilege to us and we had a great week there at the, at the conference. First Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 this morning. The word of God says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he should no longer, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask for wisdom this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just be with us as we study your word, that you would bring understanding an illumination, Lord, to your word. Father, I pray that specifically your spirit would apply your word to our lives in exactly the right way for each person this morning. And Lord Jesus, we, again, we just humbly come 
admitting you are God, we are not. We are not the judge of you or your word. Rather, it's the other way around. Lord, you will judge us and your word has been given to us to reveal your heart, your mind, your will. So Lord, help us to receive it this morning. Help it to shape and mold us and renew our minds, Lord, and fill us with joy today as we celebrate your supper, the Lord's Supper this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We've been looking a lot at suffering, the subject of suffering in the book of 1 Peter. And this morning is no different. We don't move on from that subject of suffering. It's as if the Apostle Peter is just continuing to remind us of of, of other contexts in which we as Christians, as believers, suffer. Suffering is the bearing of pain. It's inconvenience. It is loss. It is pain that is endured. It is distress. It is injury that has been incurred. We know that sufferings can come by pain, by sorrow. Suffering can come by lack. If there's a want in your life, you can suffer because of that want or that need. It can also be brought into your life through wrongdoing. So suffering... Now the Apostle Peter has spoken of how we're to suffer for doing good in the world as it relates to the government, as it relates to uh, our jobs, and as it relates to our home life. He's repeatedly brought us back in all of this suffering. He brings us back to the example of Jesus Christ. And today is no exception. The Apostle Peter is going to show us that based upon the example of Jesus and the suffering that he endured, He's now going to tell us that we also need to suffer in our flesh for doing good. And he's going to give us two main points that I want to focus on this morning. The title of our message is, Stand Committed and Walk Wisely. Stand Committed and Walk Wisely. And those are our two points. Number one, the Apostle Peter is telling us that the Christian needs to stand committed. Christian, you need to know where you stand. Especially in these days, especially in these times, where do you stand? Have you thought that through? Have you made up your mind? Are you prepared to defend your faith? And number two, the Christian needs to walk wisely. Based upon where we stand, where our commitments lie, how then shall we walk? You see, the Bible consistently tells us and gives us that message that our walk is to be worthy or equal to Our talk, or our calling in Jesus Christ as Christians. So those are our two points this morning. He challenges us to know where you stand and where and watch how you walk. So first of all, in verses 1 and 2, we'll start off with the very first word, chapter 4. The Apostle Peter says, therefore. Now for those of you who are Bible students, you know that that word is a connecting word. And that the Apostle Peter is tying this concept of standing committed in the faith to the previous point. That, and that is that Jesus Christ himself suffered for doing good. Remember in chapter uh, 3, beginning in there in verse 18, Peter said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And then in verse 21 and 22, he tells us that Jesus Christ, through his death and the resurrection, has done exactly that. He's gone into heaven. He's now at the right hand of, Jesus, of God. 
And he's surrounded by the angels and authorities and powers have all been made subject to him. So based on that example, Jesus, or Peter is connecting this point to that former point. And what he's saying is that Jesus, who is our example, he learned obedience through suffering. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says exactly that. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So Jesus, even though he was the son of God, he still had to learn obedience. Now this doesn't mean that he passed from disobedience to obedience. That would imply that Jesus had sinned, but we know that Jesus lived a sinless life. What does this mean? Well, it means that he had to learn everything that was involved with obedience and the experience of obedience. So God, in order to do that, sent his son Jesus to learn that experience, to walk through that experience. And what it's talking about here is that Jesus learned what obedience was by actually obeying. He experienced what it meant to deny his own flesh and to obey God's word. And that, and what, what was, what it, what it, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little carried away here. I'm excited about this passage this morning, if you can't tell. That might happen again a few times. But what was it that taught Jesus what it was that was involved in obedience? It was suffering. It was the suffering in his life that taught him the experience and what was involved in obedience. If that was his experience, then we need to be prepared to follow our teacher. Because Jesus taught us that a student is not greater than his teacher. And that is essentially what Peter's connecting these verses to. That Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And, and, and the experience learning what it was involved in that for you and for me, this contains a key to our Christian walk. This contains a key to you and I also learning obedience. Now, continuing on there in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. So there it is. It's a command. The Apostle Peter here is saying, Hey, since he did... You also now have something to do. You are to arm yourselves with the same mind. Now, many of you uh, may be thinking of a, a similar passage where the Apostle Paul spoke of arming ourselves with the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. You see, a Christian is not to walk around uh, without arms. You, you might have thought that the Christian is supposed to be completely defenseless in this world, but that's not true. The Bible tells us we're to arm ourselves with spiritual things. The Apostle Paul taught us that we're to take up the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that are firmly placed, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, and the sword of the Spirit, which Paul told us was the, uh, the word of God. So those things were to take up, but here the Apostle Peter, he's taking a similar approach, and he's actually here telling us to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, or the mindset of Jesus Christ. We're to have a mind like Jesus did, a mind that is committed to pleasing God. That's what we're to arm ourselves with here, according to the Apostle Peter. 
Now, how are we to achieve this mindset of imitating Jesus and pleasing God? Christians, I know of no other way than to get into the Word of God yourselves. I know of no other way than to take this book that's in your hands, or maybe it's on your iPad or on your phone, and to get into it, to read it consistently on a daily basis, and to allow the Word to soak into your heart and you're through your mind. We take it in through the mind. We meditate on it in our hearts. This needs to be a daily occurrence for the Christian. If you have not put this into practice, I encourage you that this is the only way that you will find you'll be able to arm yourself with the mind of Jesus Christ. So Christian, it's time. You've heard me say it before. I'll continue to say it till I die. You need to be reading the Word of God yourself. You need to be taking time on a daily basis to crack open that book. And not just read it for the sake of reading it so you can say, Hey mom, I finished my chapter for the day. Or not just reading it for the sake of being able to say to your pastor, Yeah, I read my Bible every day, pastor. But actually reading and meditating on it. Having communion with God. Arming yourself with His mind. As it, as it becomes part of who you are. That's the only way that you can become like-minded with Jesus. See, the disciples and the Apostle Peter, they had the luxury of getting to do life with Jesus. So that was how they armed themselves with the mindset of Christ. They walked and talked with Him every day. But in our case, we have the revelation of Scripture. That's what God has given to you and to me so that we might know the mind of God, that we might understand His heart. This past week at the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, Pastor Bud Stonebreaker of South Shore Christian Fellowship from Hawaii taught a great Bible study about devotion. And in his Bible study, he was looking at the difference between Martha's attitude and Mary's approach towards Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he said really impacted me. He said this, he said, spiritual growth occurs naturally when there's pure devotion to Jesus. Spiritual growth occurs naturally when there's pure devotion to Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that as you are loving on Jesus in your heart and desiring to sit at his feet and receive his word, there's going to be something that takes place in your life spiritually. You're going to naturally begin to grow. You're naturally going to begin to be renewed in your thinking and the way that your perspective is on life. And you're going to take on the mindset of Jesus Christ. And your heart is going to desire to please God. And that's something that is extremely important for the Christian. Extremely important. Because it has to do with your sanctification process. Peter's going to show us that as he goes into the rest of verse 1 and 2. He says... For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. I'm going to pause right there for a second. So, Peter's saying we're to prepare ourselves or arm ourselves with the mind of Jesus, which, who learned through obedience or learned obedience through suffering, I'm sorry. And here, Peter says that he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, this sounds a little bit suspicious at first, doesn't it? 
He who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You see, someone who's religious might take that verse and say, oh yeah, here's a verse for me. I need to suffer so that I can prove my holiness and my righteousness to the Lord. And so you might see this type of person. Uh, this actually was a, something that we used to see in Costa Rica. We would see someone who was doing penance for the Catholic Church. And what they would do is they would, they would put a box, a wooden box on their back. And it had some, like some crude straps around that wooden box. It was a big bulky box. And in the back of it, there was a saint, a little uh, carved statue of a saint sitting inside of that box and they would take that box and they would have a bell in their hands and they would walk through the streets of our village and they would sound that bell and there would be a little group of the elders from the catholic church that would go with them they would also have bells and they would clang those bells and the idea was to call attention to this person and this good deed that they were doing they were trying to suffer in their flesh in order to gain standing and favor with god now, to a religious person, that sounds like a great idea. But the problem is that the Bible has set us free from that kind of religious duty, that outward show of righteousness. Because Jesus Christ is the one who, who, who sets us free from that mindset. So here, what we're seeing here is not a call to asceticism. Peter isn't saying, hey, you need to suffer a little bit. You, you know, go get your whip and, you know, whip your back a few times every time that you sin. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you need to lock yourself in your little uh, punishment closet and spend some time out because you sin. He's not talking about that. What does he mean here? One more thing that I want to bring up that he doesn't mean before I tell you what he's talking about He's not talking about someone who no longer sins. When he says here, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, he's not saying that a Christian no longer sins. If that was the truth, then nobody has been a Christian. Because every Christian that I know sins. What does he mean then? Peter's referring to that once a, person, once a person has suffered persecution for being a Christian and obeying God, then it's a clear sign in their life that they've made a life-changing decision. Wayne Grudem, the author of the now famous work, Systematic Theology, he wrote this. Whoever has suffered for doing right and has still gone on obeying God in spite of the suffering it involved has made a clear break with sin. Christian, have you made a clear break with sin in your life? Doing, have you suffered for doing right in the sense that, man, you no longer follow the old lifestyle? Man, you've decided that you're going to break it off with that old lifestyle. You've ceased from all of those sorts of sins, and now you've changed direction in your life. That's what Peter's talking about here. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from suing sin. Not that you don't commit sin. You still commit sin, but your life is not dominated by any one particular sin. That's what he's talking about here. You know, when a man or a woman is converted to believe in Jesus Christ as God, their lifestyle will begin to change. As the Holy Spirit gets more of that person's heart, as the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of that person, 
You know what happens inevitably? He leads them into a life that is no longer dominated by any particular sin. He sets them free from the slavery of sin. Now that question that immediately pops into my mind is, well, how do you get to the point then where you're no longer dominated by sin? And I'm sure many of you might have that same question. You might be thinking, yeah, I would love to know. How do we get to the point where my life is no longer dominated by this thing that I feel like I'm enslaved to? That I repeat and repeat and repeat in my life. Listen, the Apostle Paul was at that point in his life when he wrote Romans chapter 7. That's what he was describing. That lifestyle. And there are many Christians who live in that state where although they're saved and believers... They're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them into the victory that's already theirs. You see, Jesus Christ has won the victory for you and for me. The victory has been won. The problem is, is that we give up battles. We give up battles. We allow sin to continue to have its hold in our lives. And so the Apostle Peter here is, he's bringing up this idea that, hey, through suffering, we can learn obedience. Through suffering, we make a break with sin, Remember that Jesus learned obedience through suffering, didn't he? Jesus took up his cross and he laid down what? He laid down his own will. He submitted his will to the Father. Luke 9, 23 says this, If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Christian, do you desire to be free from sin? Do you desire to be free from a life-dominating sin? Then follow Jesus Christ's invitation. He says, if anyone desires, if anyone, anybody here can take him up on this offer, can take him up on this invitation, he says, deny yourself, take up the cross every day, and follow me. So a Christian is someone who is committed to denying himself and being sacrificial towards a sinful lifestyle in order to follow Jesus. Let me say it a different way. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to make sacrifices in the way that you live in order to avoid sin. Let me say that one more time. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to make sacrifices in the way that you live so that you can avoid sin. I talk to too many Christians who don't understand why they're struggling with the problems that they're struggling with in their life. And oftentimes it comes back to this. It's what they're allowing in their lives. It's the doors and the windows that they have open So that that sin can be a personal pet. We swear it off at church. We repent of it while we're here. But we keep it around for those moments when we're alone. We keep it around so that when we really want it to be there, it is. Check out what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, it's on the screen. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body 
to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now listen, please. We have young people in the church today. I would hate to see you next week without a right eye. I would hate to see you next week with your right hand cut off because you weren't paying attention. So get this. Jesus is not saying you need to go out and mutilate yourself so that you stop sinning. If that was the case, I'd have to chop off my head and cut, you know, rip my heart out too. Because I'll tell you what, I could take out my eye, I could cut off my hand, and I would still be sinning. I'd be a blind man with no arms and legs walking, you know, I mean, it, it would just be, it'd be a mess, it'd be, it'd be trouble. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying here is, look, get serious with sin. Quit playing around with it. Quit making a way for it to be a part of your life. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What is the suffering that you're doing, Christian? How are you suffering in order to avoid sin? What sacrifices are you making right now, brother? What sacrifice are you making right now, sister, in your life in order to not be dominated by sin? Or do you not see it as serious enough? What kind of severity are you practicing so that sin does not dominate your life? You know, in the very beginning of history, in the book of Genesis, we read that sin is crouching at the door. God tells that to Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to rule over you. Do you understand that, Christian? Do you understand that sin is crouching at the door of your heart? It's waiting for an opportunity to invade your life. To grasp a foothold and to dominate you and enslave you. That's what its desire is. But you know what? This morning I'm here to proclaim the good news. And the good news is that in Jesus Christ, through Christ, sin has lost its power. Sin has lost its right to rule. It can no longer dominate your life because of Jesus Christ. Because of His stand to go to the cross and to suffer for your sins and for my sins. And so because of that, sin lost its power to dominate us. But now you must follow in Christ's footsteps and you must make a stand. Otherwise, it will dominate you. So again, I ask you, Christian, What measures are you taking to cut off the source of sin that seeks to dominate your life? Do you need to regulate your internet? Maybe you need to make a sacrifice of having to wait about two or three minutes longer because of your accountability software and how it filters through things before they pop up on the screen. Hey, it's a sacrifice. It's an inconvenience. That's what suffering is. Maybe you need to take your computer and stick it in the kitchen where everybody can see it at all times and make a pact with your family that you're not going to be on it unless they're around. Maybe you need to pray before you watch a certain movie or a TV show. You know, something that my wife and I do, even even, uh, any movie that we watch or any TV show, usually it's on Netflix. We don't watch a lot of TV at our house. But we'll, we'll check it on Movie Guide. MovieGuide.org, it's a Christian site that's set up to filter through all that stuff. 
because I don't want to be watching a movie that's full of filth and then halfway into it I have to shut it off and I've wasted all that time. I don't have a lot of time. I'd rather filter it first and know that when I'm going into it, hey, I can watch this movie. I don't have any qualms about it. Maybe you need to delete certain applications on your phone, your smartphone, things that you know get you into trouble with your time, a game. Man, the way they design these, a lot of these games these days, I found out real fast, it's all about checking in, right? You always got to check in and level up and make sure you got the latest and the greatest. What are they doing, man? They're trying to get you to spend your time on their app. not saying those things are wrong, but I'm saying, hey, you need to pray about these things. Where is the sin coming from? What is the sources in your life? Maybe you need to change your living situation. Perhaps you're living with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That right there is putting you in a position to be stumbled into sin. Maybe you're living with uh, some roommates that are just all about a different kind of lifestyle. They have a different perspective. Maybe you've been saved out of that. You thought you could do it. But you're finding, man, it's really hard to be in the same apartment with a bunch of people that are pursuing the world. Maybe you need to change that living situation, take a step of faith. Maybe you need to avoid certain situations with certain friends. I don't know, okay? I could go on endlessly here. Really, all of that is secondary. What really needs to be thought of is, man, am I committed in my stand for Jesus Christ? Am I committed to the Lord? Do I want to please Him more than anything else? Listen, it's going to be different for different people. These kinds of choices will mark the man or the woman who is following Jesus. The sacrifices that you make in the flesh to suffer for what's right. Suffering for what is good. To follow Jesus. Listen, it's not legalism. Someone may say, oh, listen, the pastor's on his his pedestal again. He's preaching all these things that we shouldn't do. Listen, it's not legalism. Legalism is when you begin to relate to God based on your performance. What I'm talking about is called making a commitment. It's called suffering. And you know what? It's part of everyday life for the Christian. Suffering is, remember, the bearing of pain, inconvenience, or loss. Suffering can be brought into your life by want or by wrongs. It can be brought in by pain or sorrow. You know what? Sin brings a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow, doesn't it? I've seen the effects of my sin. Trust me, it's not something I want to continually be seeing. It wrecks, it destroys. So suffering for doing right is what we experience each time we deny our flesh, Christians. It's just part of everyday Christian life. So the committed Christian is marked by a life that is not being dominated by a sinful behavior. And in verse 2, there's two other things Peter says. We see that a Christian who has suffered for doing what's right is marked by he no longer lives the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. Look at those words, no longer no longer pertains to the time that we have. There comes a point in time, Christian, where you need to learn to say no. 
You just need to learn to say no. Say, you know what? I can no longer participate in these activities. I can no longer be in this situation. I can no longer have this on my phone or in my house or a part of my life and time. It just comes a time where you just have to make that decision. Man, we live in a culture that is marked by so many things that just want to suck up our time and our attention. I mean, we live in a media-driven culture. It's saturated with advertisements. It's saturated with things that are vying for your attention. And man, they just want to enslave you to those things. But listen, we need to learn to say no, no longer. Listen, the Apostle Peter says he lives the rest of his time no longer for the flesh of the lusts of men. Do you realize that you have an allotted amount of time? Maybe we need to wake up this morning and recognize, hey, our lives are not going to last forever. And if you wait till you're in your 50s, 60s, or 70s to start serving the Lord, man, you're going to be filled with regret. I'm, I'm 37 and I have regret for the time that I wasted and still waste occasionally. I mean, I'll find myself getting wrapped up in things that I know are just not a good uh, use of my time. But Peter's challenging us here this morning. He's challenging us to revise our lives and to look at them and say, listen, God has allotted you a certain amount of time here on this earth. How will you use it? How will you use it? Young person this morning, I encourage you. I encourage you, listen to what Peter is saying. Maybe you, maybe you haven't been caught up in the lusts of the flesh of men yet. But listen, there's no excuse for you to go that route. Listen, your life right now can be used to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. And, and, and not just that, God just wants to, he wants to have you. He wants to enjoy relationship with you. He wants to have a life with you. A life that is so much more full and more complete than what the world can offer you. Secondly, we see that he lives to please God. In verse four, or in verse two, he says, no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Listen, your, your, your life is to be marked, you're to make a stand committed to the Lord in that you're not dominated by sin, that you say no to the lusts of this world, and three, now you live to please God. In verses 3 through 6, we now come to the second and final point of the message this morning. And that is that Christians need to walk wisely. Verse 3. It says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Man, you look at that list there and you just think, mankind has not evolved very much in the last 2,000 years, have they? <laughs> I mean, they're still do- we're still doing the same things they were doing back when Peter had to write this letter. You know, and, and everybody wants to talk about, well, if we just had the right education, if we could just get everybody on the same page education-wise, we'd, we'd be past all this. But it's not true. Because of the nature of our flesh. Man, and what Peter's talking about here is he's describing these parties that they would have to the Greek god Bacchus. 
And, and, and at these parties, they would just come together and it was like you, you were to throw moral inhibitions aside when you walked through the doors. And in order to do that, what would they do? They'd pump you full of wine. Man, it was like drinking fest. Get your drink on so that you no longer have moral inhibitions so that you can do whatever. In fact, archaeologists have discovered that there was actually pits uh, uh, where they created these pits and they were, they were for vomiting in. The people would drink until they were silly and then they would go and vomit in this pit so they could go drink some more and commit more immoral acts. It was crazy. And yet we have the same things taking place today. The same things go on today. It hasn't changed. So he's, giving, he's saying here that enough time has been spent doing those things that the world does. In other words, we don't need to have our time dominated by the things of the world any longer, Peter's saying. And then he gives that list of things that basically is describing a selfish, partying, immature person who does whatever the desire of the moment is. Think about that. Think about that. The world is putting before us as our heroes, people who exemplify this lifestyle. People that are selfish, people that love to party, people that are immature because they think only of themselves. Listen, listen people, that's not God's will. That's not God's will for your life. To only think of yourself and this moment of time and what will bring you pleasure. If you live like that, if you live like that, you'll find yourself traveling down the road that leads to destruction, whether you're here in church or not. The first word in the list is lewdness. I'm not going to go through them all, but the first word sums up the entire list. That first word, lewdness, it describes a lifestyle that has no moral restraint. It means to live without shame when it comes to sexual immorality and violence. Lewdness means to live without self-control. This kind of life is not supposed to mark the follower of Jesus Christ. And Peter makes it clear that as Christians in Christ, we no longer, or, or that we already spent enough time living for ourselves like the world does. Now these things no longer need to mark our lives. Unfortunately, there are many in the church today who, if they're honest, feel like they haven't spent enough time exploring some of these things. Oh man, if I could just, you know, just get that one more party, or if, man, if I could just, I, I, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right soon. I'm going to get right soon. However, to think like that is very dangerous. Because those who spend their time that God has allotted them in these activities are actually on a path that does not lead to salvation. It leads to destruction and eternal suffering in hell. Did you hear that, church? You may be seated here this morning thinking that you are on the path that leads to salvation. Yet you're only deceiving yourself. And that's what happens. The heart of man is deceitful, who can know it? I cannot tell you how many times my own heart has deceived me as a Christian, projecting a false image of who I really am, not facing the reality of what's going on when I'm not at church or when I'm not around other believers. Listen, don't make that mistake. Don't fool yourself. 
Instead, be bold. Make a stand to be committed to Jesus Christ in your heart and walk wisely. When you do, you'll find out who your real friends are. You'll find out who your real friends are. Trust me. There's a lot of people that will be with you on that road. But when you make a stand and a commitment, you'll find out who your real friends are. Look at verse 4. That's what Peter's talking about there. He says, In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. So these people are actually, when you make a stand and commit to Jesus Christ, and you say, listen, my time cannot be caught up in those things anymore. Man, when you make that stand, you're going to find out who your friends are because people are going to begin to speak evil of you. All of a sudden, they're going to know, hey, that guy is not running with us. And they're going to begin to slander you. That phrase there in that verse 4, flood of dissipation, it means a life that's wasted in the pursuit of pleasure. So the people who are living their lives for nothing more than selfish pleasure are going to get upset when you don't join them, when you're not running with them, okay? It's not fair. It's not fair, but it's reality. It's not fair, but it's reality. I can't tell you how many friends I've lost. And it doesn't seem fair. They seem, you know, they're great, they're good people, and I, I pray for them, and I wish that they would make a stand for Jesus too, but sometimes it doesn't happen. But as for me and my house, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Peter brings us back to another reality in verse 5 as we get ready to wrap this up. He says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's the final reality, isn't it? That's... That is the reality that no one can escape. The fact that one day, all that they have done will be laid bare before the living God. And it says here that he is ready to judge. Do you know that you and I are not ready to judge? You and I, we're not ready to judge others and their sin. Because we don't know the motives of their heart. But there is one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. His judgments are righteous. His judgments are true. Are you ready for that day? God will pass a sentence based upon what you have thought in your mind, based upon what you have spoken with your mouth, and based upon what you've done with your body. He will judge the living and the dead. But Peter wraps it up with some good news this morning. Verse 6, he says, for this reason, the gospel, (laughs) the good news was preached also to those who are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the spirit. What he's saying here is that the gospel was preached to those who are now dead, okay? This is not talking about Jesus going to preach to the dead. It's talking about why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came to preach good news. He came to set the captives free, guys. He came to set you free from the bonds of sin in your life. And that is the good news. Jesus Christ can change a person. He can come. He can take us. He can wash us, forgive us, take away our shame, and replace us, replace it with security and a covering from shame. I praise God for that. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's why he came in the first place. 
And many who heard Jesus, they believed his message. They are now dead. But the Bible tells us their spirits are alive. Their victory is complete. They've gone before us and they're there in the presence of Christ even now as I speak this message because they live according to the spirit of God that was in them. Now listen. Still others heard the message of Jesus Christ and they did not believe. And their spirits are also alive and awaiting the final day of judgment when they will give an account for their lives to God. So listen. To each one of us here this morning, the message is simple. The Bible is really simple when it comes to death. You either die in the faith or not in the faith. You either die in faith and inherit eternal life, or you die in sin and inherit eternal punishment. And Peter understood the urgency of this message. He understood the urgency of the good news of Jesus Christ and that's why he's continually giving it out. He's continually referring to the cross because you need to understand the urgency as well. This morning God is calling you to think of that time of accountability when you will stand before God and give an accounting for the time that God has allotted you on the earth. Will you stand in the faith at that time? Or will you stand in sin? Will you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Or will you stand trying to clothe yourself with your own righteousness, your own merits, your own religious works? That is the only judgment about your life that is going to count. And it will count for all eternity. So have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Don't leave this place until you've made a commitment to stand for him. I think you should do so today. I think you should pledge your life to him. The Bible says that when you do this, you pass from death to life. That when you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, you go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You become a member of the family of God, a child of God, and you'll never lose your position once you're a part of his family. Sin may be committed. You're still going to make mistakes. Failure, it's still going to happen from time to time. But you know what? Jesus Christ is going to lead you on a path that will set you free from a life that's dominated by sin. And His Spirit in us gives us the power to do that. In closing, I want to read this from Deuteronomy. I've been reading this in my devotions. And this passage, this particular passage in Deuteronomy, if you'd like to look it up, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Um, If not, I'll read it to you. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 16. Just felt like this was a word from the Lord for us today. The Lord has really been ministering in my life, personally. He says in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 7, Also, you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 17. I started reading the wrong spot. Verse 17 says, If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. But you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm, by which the Lord your God brought you out. 
So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. Verse 22. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. So take heart this morning, church from that testimony from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. The people had a difficult time believing that they were going to be able to come into the promised land and defeat all these enemies. I mean, there was fortified cities and big giant men there, warriors. And they're thinking, man, how are we going to do this? You know what God says? Hey, I'm going to be with you. The Lord your God, who's great and awesome, he's with you. And he's going to help you appropriate this territory little by little. It's not going to be all at once necessarily. But little by little he's going to lead you down this path to conquering new territory for him. Until one day you're going to look back and you're going to go, wow, it's mine. This is mine and you're going to pass into eternity. And the reward is going to be yours. The reward is going to be yours. So, I pray that that encourages you this morning, Christian, those of you that may find yourself struggling with an enemy in your life that's just trying to take you down and dominate you, listen, give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord and know that he is great and he is awesome and based on that testimony of things he's done in the past, we know that he's going to work and move and powerfully defeat enemies in the future as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that word of encouragement this morning. We thank you for the Apostle Peter and his heart and the way that he edifies us and encourages us to follow your example. Lord, help us to suffer in the flesh in the sense that we inconvenience ourselves and cut ourselves off from the sources of sin that seek to dominate our lives. Lord, may we truly find that freedom comes when we take up the cross every day, when we deny ourselves and follow you. So Lord, show us those areas that we need to do that. And Father, for the the person who's here this morning and has never uh, committed their life to Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they choose to make that stand. I pray that Christians everywhere would make that stand today, but I pray especially for the one who is listening to this message and has never made a stand for Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day that they believe the good news about Jesus and give their life to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.